Oh my gosh, man, it just feels so electric in here. It feels so good, doesn't it? I love it when people get together and worship and just love on Jesus. It's just amazing what happens. You can't manufacture that. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things. It's like a heavenly commodity. It just lands in the room, and it's like like that. Nobody can make that up. You know, you can, I don't know if you, I don't know. Am I just weird? Anybody else feel that? Come on, somebody help me out here. just feels so good. I love it. I love the, just the atmosphere that's, that's happening. Danielle with worship is wonderful. Oh, my gosh. I need to see again. Um, how many people in the room were at the Send yesterday? Let me see. Hold your hand up. Okay, man, we had a lot of people in here. Did anybody watch it uh, streaming? Yeah, right there. One on fire right there. Came through the airwaves. Got her. That's awesome. It was so good. We were there uh, yesterday uh, for the whole thing. Couldn't believe we made it all the way through. Um, but it was, it was really amazing. And we got some troopers in this room, too. Who were some of the others that were there who were there the entire day? Let's see. Oh, man. Well, pretty much everybody in the room then. Everybody who went anyway. Awesome. So good, man. I don't know. There's so many testimonies still coming out from it. But um, I love the atmosphere. I love the, the, just the, the idea of sending. sending. I mean, it really is in line with what Jesus said. Go, right? You know, I think we've turned the mandate of Jesus around and we've put it on the world, and we've told the world to go to church instead of the church going out to people. And I feel like that's really where, where the shift is happening, and I'm really hoping this is a sustained thing that the church can hold on to because, yeah, it's not my job to get your friends saved. I hope you guys know that. It's not, it's not my job. It's yours. It's your sphere of influence. So you want to hear another testimony? These are always good. Now, this is, for those of you who may be visiting, this is from our Orlando School of Supernatural Ministry. Uh, Dave Jackson, put your hand up right there. He's a, he sent me this this morning. It's a, this is what we do Friday nights for our school. Um, we get together, do a little revival group time, uh, talk about ministry stuff, share life together, and then we pack it up and head downtown, set up some tables, for those of you who don't know, and put up signs that say free spiritual readings. <laughs> Gotcha. And people always want to know, well, you read palms? What do you do? No, we just listen to Creator, listen to the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and all kinds of neat things happen. This is what happened uh, last Friday. Last Friday, OSSM went downtown for free spiritual readings in the bar district. We had two young women sit down with us. The mood was fun and jovial as they were down there to drink and party, and this was just a stop along the way to get to the bar. We started, yeah, we started getting words of knowledge started getting words of knowledge correct for her about her job, her personality, and her friendships. She was starting to get touched and became more serious as she listened intently. We then got to a word about her writing, and she confessed that she longs to write and haven't, haven't even told her the best, I'm sorry, longs to write and ha- hasn't even told her best friend about the desire. The last thing we saw was Holy Spirit revealing that she was abused by her father growing up. She started to weep, and her friend wept with her as she nodded that this was indeed true. We explained this was not who her heavenly father was and told her about grace and his unconditional love. They confessed there was no way we could know these things unless Jesus was real and told us they didn't even want to go drink the bars any longer. (laughs) Come on. Oh, yeah. Something about encountering God. Encountering God will do that to you. I tell you what, you you taste the real intoxication of the spirit. You don't want the other stuff. And the beauty in it is there's no hangovers. It's glorious. 
Well, that's good. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. Oh, my gosh. I just hope that really pumps you guys up a little bit. I really feel like this thing, it's up to us to take what happened yesterday and keep it from being a a moment and turn it into a movement. It's up to the church to do it. We have the commission to go. And I hope you guys know you've got Holy Spirit inside of you. As Dave always tells us, you're HS positive. You're Holy Spirit positive. So everywhere you go, you're just infecting people. So bring the kingdom. Can we all do that? I know you can. Hallelujah. It's so good. Well, I got to spend some time yesterday uh, with Michael and Diane um, Brodeur at the, uh, off and on throughout the day. And I am so excited to have them here. So excited. My first conversation with Michael was over a, a Zoom meeting, a Skype-type meeting, um, as he's like assigned to me as a coach for the Bethel Leaders Network. And immediately in talking with him, I was like, I need to put my phone down and start typing now because this guy has all kinds of gold inside of him. And as I was writing it, I remember bringing it to the team, sharing some stuff that he had shared with me. And it was just a few nuggets that were just so profound and so powerful. And then yesterday when I was at the Send, we were sitting at a table. And, of course, Michael was like the mayor. Everybody knew him. And so everybody's walking up, and they're introducing uh, us to their friends. And at one point, they take off. I'm sitting there with some of their friends, and all I'm hearing is how much of an impact he's had in people's lives. That he's like a father, that he brings healing everywhere he goes. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We really, really need this. We really need this impartation. And I felt it um, in the conversation I was having with him on the the phone that day. So um, I want you guys to give a really, really warm welcome. He's going to talk about life and all this stuff, and I'm going to let him introduce his his wife and stuff. But I want you guys to stand to your feet and give a very warm welcome to Michael and Diane Brodeur. Wow, you guys, you guys are, you guys are easy to talk to. You guys are nice. Feels so good here. It feels like home, feels like family. You know, what you have here is really unusual. It's rich and it's uh, full. Like you have leaders that have integrity and really want to please the Lord. They want to learn. You know, all of us never cease to learn in the Lord, right? And um, Michael asked me to just share for a minute. And um, as I've been just feeling what to share for you, I, I want to I go towards this issue of the send. Because we're being sent, and we've been commissioned to be sent. And, you know, in my life, um, I, I'm an adventurer. I'm, I've always loved adventure. And even as a young child, I had a sense of destiny. I didn't know it, but literally, like, I would have my little dolls, and sometimes I'd put, like, a pillow in my shirt, and I'd think, oh, I want to have a baby. And um, I really wanted to go to Africa. And my, my parents were completely non-believers, leading me in a non-direction of Christianity, and um, I was really smart. I was supposed to graduate in my the end of my sophomore year of high school and go right into college to be a veterinarian. I was really passionate about it, you know. I just loved animals, and I, I had a calling on my life to change the world, you know, but nobody told me I could actually help people. And um, But, you know, when I was 14... Uh, I met some friends that were in their 20s. 
I was kind of overly mature for my age, and they became my buddies, and they were counterculture people. And it was the 70s, and we ate good food and read uh, books about Eastern mysticism. That summer, before I was supposed to go to college, uh, I went to Kauai for the summer with a girlfriend backpacking, and um, we smoked marijuana and... and, uh, and took some mushrooms, and we had gone to a church before that, which was Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, and God had gotten a hold of our hearts, right? We totally loved the Bible. We loved Jesus. It was in mass revival, but nobody discipled us, so we went to Kauai. We would smoke pot and tell people about Jesus, you know? It's like, you gotta, no, this is so cool, you guys. You gotta listen to what happened to us, and um, people were people were really open, you know. It was the Jesus People Movement. Hundreds of thousands of people, millions across the world, came into the kingdom. And um, and you know, I decided on that trip. What I really want to do is I want to I want to get into kind of like a big van or something. I'd love to have a baby and travel the world in a van with other people. Doesn't that sound like a realistic goal, you guys? That sounds so cool. So listen, by, um, by the time I was uh, 15, I was expecting my first baby. I still loved the Lord, and uh, my natural childbirth teacher was a totally right-on, born-again revivalist, and she prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I shook, and I prophesied, and I knew God. I knew God that I knew God from that point on, and um, she discipled me, and she said, oh, you probably shouldn't wear that. That's not very modest, and you know, she got to teach me, and God gripped me, and I, I joined YWAM, and I went into the nations, and I had my daughter on the bus with me, and you know, going for God. And I met Michael at an outreach that he was putting on in San Francisco when I was uh, 20. I had my 21st birthday with him. We were married six months later. He was 23. He was already a leader of uh, in, the, in the city. And, you know, we went into full-time ministry. And then we became um, senior pastors in our early 20s of the vineyard. And it's just been like we got to do signs and wonders and go into the nations, all that stuff. Like we've, we've been a, a part of the ecstasy of God, but there's the agony and the ecstasy in life, you guys. And, you know, I started strong and, um, and even in the midst of, you know, what was, was, was a kind of a hardship of life. And what I want to say to you guys, as, as God is sending us, like, if you haven't had those experiences yet, you need to get them. Like, you need to go into the nations. Even if you're not called to be a missionary, it'll change you. The things that make you come alive are an indicator of what your destiny is. Like, I felt like I was supposed to have a child and have a family. I had a broken home. I didn't know how to do that, so I went about it. Like, I had my Hagar kind of daughter who's following the Lord beautifully now, and Michael adopted her. But... Um, but you guys, we need to we need to endure and finish well. You know, I'm 59, and I would like to say my husband's 62nd birthday today. <laughs> Yay! So yeah, you can you can just give him a um, you can give him a, a 
birthday prophecy. But you guys, so, so um, you know, there's been, there's been the hardest things that have come through our life in the middle of all this amazing stuff. Sometimes I've been so depressed, I literally would just think, please, God, take me home. I don't want to live. There's been times when I just couldn't read the word because I would look at the Bible and it, I would just feel so much pressure on me and I would just feel so torn in my spirit because, you know, it says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes as believers, even in the middle of an amazing life, it can be crushing that kind of pressure, you know? Sometimes we'd be driving down the road and I would just see churches off to the side like church buildings and it'd make me feel like, ugh, because we'd been wounded in the church. I just want to say, you guys, like press in. The teachings that are coming forth here, this is how I fight my battles. Like we need to be filled and infused with the Holy Spirit of God. And God will give us life, and then we can be sent, and we can go, and we can finish powerfully, you know? I want to be preaching the gospel till the day I die. I want to have hope. So I'm just going to pray over you right now. So, Father, we just ask that in the complexities of life, and all of our stories are so intricate and detailed, that each person here, Lord, that you would cast their hope on you, that you would bring them adventure, that you would... Feel that, fill them with the zeal of the Lord for your house and that they would feel alive, that they would feel touched and comforted, that you would bind up their broken hearts and put balm on the sore areas, Lord, that you would heal us, restore us, and make us alive and powerful till the day we go to be with you. And we put that in your hands and we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. No, it's uh, my greatest honor is to be married to Diane Brodeur. She is amazing, and uh, it's just been uh, it's quite a journey. We're like actually four days away from our 38th anniversary. And... Um, oh, right, and she has seven kids. And so... Uh, and so, yeah, we, we decided, like, uh, because we already had a daughter to begin with, that we wanted to have all our kids close together. So, gosh, I think within a year, actually, six days before our first anniversary, we had our first, our, our, our second child, our first son, and uh, kept going from there. So we have seven. But we are in the empty nesting phase, which I don't know how many of you are empty nesters in the room, but it actually is wonderful. It's like, wow, this is... This is um, second honeymoon time, and we're really enjoying that. And uh, just after 33 years of ministry in San Francisco, which wasn't, you know, as Diane said, not all ecstasy. Some of it was agony. Um, the Lord uh, brought us through, and we're actually, we've been living in Redding, California for about 10 years now. And uh, I teach in the school there. It's pretty fun. Uh, how, many, how many students from Bethel here today? Look at these amazing men and women of God, powerful, phenomenal. And I've gotten to know their leaders just like a little bit. But just two amazing men that are leading this team, David and Nathan. And so right now, though, it's, um, it's one of my privileges to be able to also uh, be coaching churches. 
through BLN, through Bethel Leader Network, and your church is part of that. Your leaders are part of that. And so it's been just a joy to start to get to know them a little bit, and I look forward to just being connected. And we're going to have a good time just walking things out. And I also lead another ministry called pastorscoach.com, which is sort of similar. But anyway, it's just um, a joy and honor to be with you. I'm so grateful that we could actually get together and spend this time it worked out perfectly because we really wanted to go to the Send. It was kind of like a personal birthday present for me. And Diane and I have been to probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 calls over the years, you know, uh, Lou Engel's ministry. And we were actually uh, connected very deeply for about 10 years with, with their ministry. And, and, um, and so to be here and to see this next evolutionary step, you know, moving from primarily a prayer-focused gathering to a empowering and equipping and sending gathering was just a very, very big highlight for us and just awesome. But anyway, it's good to be with you. And uh, in honor of my birthday, I want you to turn to Isaiah 62 because that's, that's how old I am today. And so um, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about Isaiah 62. And so um, I don't know if it's just in commemoration. But anyway, I do have a couple books out on the table. Um, I only brought like 20. So, but um, I have Destiny Finder. And I know you guys have been doing a little bit of that together as a church. But the book is here. And this has a lot of my testimony. Um, you know, I was raised in San Francisco by hippie parents. And uh, never heard about the gospel until I started hitchhiking around the nation. And one of those, actually two or three of those trips took me through Florida and uh, just, you know, meeting believers. Actually, it was the main way that Christians were witnessing back in those days is pick up a hitchhiker and you have a captive audience. And so I got preached to many, many times by rides that I got. And finally, one of those rides when I was 17 years old, a woman picked me up hitchhiking and preached at me for, gosh, 26 miles. And then finally at the end, she said, well, do you want to pray? And I said, well, why not, you know? And so that was my first introduction and really started like this amazing work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I hitchhiked up into Montana, met some Blackfoot Indians, and uh, they were the ones who actually sealed the deal and, you know, got me into discipleship. And they had come to the Lord through a personal visitation of Jesus. So just phenomenal story of, of their work in my life. I lived with them for six months. And by the way, is there anyone here who actually is um, Native American connected to the tribes here? Uh, there, was, there was two or three different tribes in the, in the um, you know, Florida, mid-Florida area. Was there, is there anybody here that, that you, have, you know you have Indian Native American blood in you? Somebody in the back there. I just felt like such a strong sense of, of God's presence that there was going to be somebody here who had that, that, that calling on your life. And I felt like the Lord was saying to you that he's called you. He's like, he actually has given you, um, I don't know what percentage of Native American you are, but I felt like one of your feet was like roots down into the land. And I felt like there's, there's a, a, an intercessory, mediatory gift that God's given you. And he's also, I felt like it had to do with your voice as well, that the Lord said that there's a voice that he's given you to speak, to speak to the land and to speak to your people and to speak on behalf of what God's doing here. And I really believe God's going to release something through you and through that connection. And I don't know if you have uh, tribal status or anything, but I just want to encourage you that, that God's going to open doors and he's going to actually cause, you know, there to be actual connections there with some of the native peoples that were kind of, you know, descendants of the ones, the original inhabitants of this area. So anyway, I just want to bless you with that in Jesus. Amen. 
And then I have a second book, too, which is Revival Culture. And I, I wrote this with a guy named Banning Leapshire. He wrote two chapters. And this guy named Bill Johnson put in a chapter, two. And Bill, Bill um, his chapter alone is worth the, the cost of the book. But anyway, but it's really about my passion to see the body of Christ be the body of Christ. You know, I do believe in the billion soul harvest. I believe we're on the verge of a great awakening. And, uh, you know, I've been praying into this for many years. Diane and I were in San Francisco. We were revivalists. I think we did at least, gosh, a thousand nights of revival meetings over the years. You know, we did 18 months after Toronto through 94, 95, uh, 18 months of nightly meetings, six nights a week. Um, we've, but we had other just crazy, crazy outpouring stuff in the city. And um, part of our passion there was to see a revival be launched from our city. And, uh, and so we did a lot of ministry actually among like Burning Man people and the rave community and hippie dready kids and all of the, you know, just really trying to understand what is the emerging harvest? What is it like? What does it look like? How does it work? And how can we begin to prepare? And part of what I came up with was this idea that, wow, you know, the church right now is, is, is really not quite ready. I mean, if you just run the stats for the Orlando metro area, okay, basically 2.5 million people in the metro area. I don't know if you guys know that. 2.5 million. If a billion souls are coming to Jesus, we're talking about 15% of the world's population. What's your share of that in Orlando? Do you realize if there's 2.5 million people your share is 375,000 people coming to Christ. Hello? <laughs> I mean, does that scare you at all? Does that cause you to feel like, whoa, we have like, what, 20 empty chairs here? How are we going to take care of 375,000 new babies coming to Christ? See, I believe the plan of God, I mean, if, if yesterday was anything, it was a call for babies in the house. You know what I mean? Like, we need to have babies in the house. Like, so much of what's happening right now in the body of Christ is just people moving from church to church. And sometimes that's really the Lord's will. I don't have anything against transfer growth. But God wants to revolutionize. God wants to plunder hell and populate heaven. God wants to bring about a transformation in this region. And I don't even know what this, the current Christian population is here. But I imagine that, you know, if it's normal to, across America, it's probably, you know, maybe 15% or something that are really active churchgoers really going after Jesus full on. And I believe we have a challenge in front of us that is so, so, so important. And so part of our calling, in fact, one of the early words over our life was that, um, that we were being prayed for for being evangelists. And the guy laid hands on us and said, you're not called to be an evangelist. You're called to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the church. And there's something about this passion that God has put in my heart, and I know many of your hearts as well, for the body of Christ. Like it's time. It's time for us to stop playing church. It's time for us to step up at a new level. It's time for us, to, uh, you know, part of the passion in my heart is the maximized mobilization of every member. Because I believe that every single one of you is carrying a piece of the puzzle of Jesus in this, for this city. And that ultimately, until every one of you is activated at the highest level possible, given your current maturity level, your current gifting level, until that happens, we're not going to see the full picture of Jesus manifested. Now, I learned a little secret a little while ago that it, it really doesn't pay off to, um, to buy a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle at a second-hand store. 
like Diane always tries to, um, you know, get me out of my ministry focus during the holidays, and so she throws out a, a thousand-piece puzzle. But it's really frustrating to get to the end of the puzzle and find out that there's five or six pieces missing. But that's where the body of Christ is right now. The body of Christ, the people that should be in their place are not in their place. People that should be activated are not fully activated right now. The people who are, who are you know, were, I believe they, they carry the missing link. And they may think, wow, I'm, I'm just so insignificant. What, you know, how can I matter? Do I matter? And I believe that, no, you have an incredible role. And that's what the scripture talks about when it talks about the body or it talks about the bride without spot or blemish. It's like we're talking about this dynamic, you guys, where every single member, I believe, because we're all called to be kings and priests unto our God. Every one of us in this room, I don't care how broken you feel or how, you know, much struggle you've had in your life, you know, you're called with an incredible destiny that Jesus himself chose you. Scripture says that, you know, that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Come on, let that hit you. Chosen in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so I long to see the body of Christ emerge at that level. So Isaiah 62 kind of carries some of that. And um, here's what it says. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. And the nations will see your righteousness and all the kings will see your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. I mean, the passion of the scripture for God's purposes to be fulfilled on the earth is so clear. Now, obviously, this passage is clearly talking about Israel for Zion's sake, for Jerusalem's sake, that there's this passion in the heart of God for his people at this time in the old covenant. But you have to also understand that that basically the second half, or really from Isaiah 40 on, was really a whole bunch of new covenant reality. In other words, it was injected in, the, in that season, talking ahead to the season that we're now in. And in fact, when you look at Isaiah 61, the spirit of the living God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. That entire passage is, is speaking about Jesus. And what Jesus did and what Jesus said when he said to us, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit will not come. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't come, might as well hang it up. In other words, the Spirit of God is poised to invade you. The same Spirit that anointed Jesus as Messiah. And that's what the word Messiah means, by the way, is the, the one who's been anointed or smeared with oil. That we are, in a sense, smeared with that same oil. That we've been anointed. The spirit of the living God is upon us. And so that's 61. Now we're in 62. So I just transitioned from being 61 years old to 62 years old. And so, for Zion's sake, I will not be quiet. In other words, you guys, there is such a passion to pray right now for the fullness of Jesus in his church. 
for the fullness of the bride without spot or wrinkle, for the fullness of the body where every single member is functioning, where we're no longer a Frankenstein being sewn together with different body parts, or we're no longer uh, a body with, you know, quadriplegic church where basically whole pieces of us are not functioning because we haven't actually discovered the full measure of God's purpose for his people. And so therefore, we're in this place of like, okay, well, let's have another service and let's have 20% of the people do all the work and 80% just be spectators and consumers as if that's what Jesus died to produce. No, Jesus died for a, a new creation. A group of men and women that are filled with the power and presence of God. Men and women so diverse from one another, but each one of them containing the presence of God in gifts and in abilities and in dreams and passions. And each one of us contributing together to see God's purposes fulfilled in the earth. I mean, come on, you guys. This is what, what Jesus died to produce and we've been stuck in this little mode called pastoral church, you know, where as if Jesus died to just care for people. Now, obviously, he loves everybody. He wants to care for everybody. But the best way he, he, he found to care for people is, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. Let's change the world again, together. That's where the real blessing. So he says this. He says, her righteousness goes before as brightness. I mean, could are you longing for the day when the church is esteemed at that level? Where it says that in this passage that nations, that the Gentiles will see the glory of God on the people of God and they'll be blown away. I mean, this is what we're, we're moving towards. This is what God is doing to develop us at this time. And then it says all the kings will see your glory. Like right now, the kings of the earth aren't really looking too much at us. But it's time. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to rise up. It's time for us to shine. Arise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness is covering the earth. Gross darkness to people. But the Lord shall arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. That's Isaiah 60. I was 62 years ago. Now I'm 62. Anyway, so the point is, is that we're making this transition, you know, along with my, my age. Anyway, but... Um, and that it says that we shall be a, a royal diadem in the hand of God. See, I, I think this issue of the crown of Jesus, that we are like the crown of God. We're the crowning glory of Jesus. And that crown implies royalty. It implies authority. We are to be the head and not the tail. We are called to be the very crowning glory of Jesus. And yet the church has been kind of AWOL. You know, we've been, we've been a little bit struggling. And that's why it was so beautiful. I mean, again, you can talk about the value of stadium gatherings or whatever, but to see 60,000 believers saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Come on. I mean, that's just so beautiful. Even if only a small percentage ever end up doing it, it's still beautiful and lovely. And I know it means a lot to the heart of Jesus. Okay, but how do we get there from here? How do we begin to move forward? Well, there's a little thing I want to focus on, which is this next passage, which is marrying the land. I mean, God's put you in a very interesting place. I mean, Orlando is, is really weird. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like it is the, 
the amusement park capital of the world. I mean, seriously, like people will save for two or three years to bring their families here. I think it's 72 million people a year come here. Do you guys realize that? That you're hosting the dreams, the aspirations, the, 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 the hungers and desires. You know, it's like, it's like people are longing for heavenly reality, and this is about as close as it gets. Four days at Disney World is seriously about as close to heaven as, as many people are going to ever get. And you guys are the host people for that reality. You're hosting the dreams and the passions of people. And they're coming here and conventions, you know, like, okay, we're going we're gonna to hold our business, our capitalistic, you know, sort of planning season for the year. We're going to host it in the place where dreams are made. You know, it's like, come on, think about the redemptive purpose of the region you're in. And why do people move here? What's in their hearts? You know, why are they longing for this place? I mean, it's kind of off the beaten track. I mean, it's in the middle of, you know, of Florida. I mean, it's nice weather, you know, I'd say. I've, I've been here a few times. I love the place. But think about what you're here to do. What is God's redemptive purpose for this city? What's God's redemptive purpose for this church? What's God's redemptive purpose for you individually as it relates to the church, as it relates to the city? In other words, God is not a random God. He's a God who, who sees blueprints. He has strategies. He has purposes and plans. And I don't believe that your existence in Acts 2 church is distinct from God's greater purpose for this region. Nor is it different from God's personal purpose in each of your lives. In other words, all of these circles are intersecting in the heart of God, and God has a purpose for it all. And you have a place, and maybe you're not even in your place yet, but God is calling you up to a new level of understanding that, wait a minute, in God's greater plan, I fit. I have a, I have a purpose. I have a destiny in the greater purpose of God for this region. And so look at this next passage. It says, you will no longer be termed forsaken, and your land will no longer be called desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, and also your son shall marry you, and as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I wasn't sure if I was going to share on this passage until Andy got up and talked about, you know, just uh, seeing his bride and pausing at that moment. Because I do believe that God is calling us to marry the land. That we're called, in other words, this land by some might be thought of as forsaken. By some it's desirable, but I don't know that anybody wants to marry this land. They want to come and sleep with her, but they don't want to marry her. You guys understand? I mean, could you imagine being somebody that's that desired, but nobody wants to covenant? That's a painful place to be. And a place like this, a place like I was pastoring for 33 years with Diane, San Francisco, I mean, people would, everybody would come there. I mean, missionaries would go there just to write a newsletter, take a few photos and write a newsletter. I mean, come on, you guys. It's like San Francisco was a place that gathered people from all over the world. One of the most desired, you know, tourist spots in the world. Everybody had a desire for her, but nobody wanted to marry her. And I think Orlando can kind of be the same place. People utilize this place 
for their own pleasure, for their own dreams. But you guys are planted here. I mean, just hearing, you know, uh, the story of your pastors and how they dated this place for a few years, right? Ten years. You came down. It's like you knew that there was something going on here. You, your delight in her was growing. You know, Hephzibah, it says, it says, that shall be your name. My delight is in her. But really, it gets consummated in the very next phrase, your land shall be called Beulah, which means married one. So you guys dated this place for a while, but then you came and married her. And this is the fruit of that marriage is Acts 2 Church. You guys understand? In other words, something's happening here that I don't believe, I think this is just in its infancy, you know, in other words, in terms of what God is going to do. But in this season, there is, a, there is an issue. Now, I don't know if you guys remember <clears throat> being in second grade, but, but there was this little thing we used to say just to tease each other, which is um, Michael and Diane sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first lo comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the babies in the baby carriage, right? And it's like, okay, we did that, you know. We took the statement about being fruitful and multiplying very, very personally. And seven kids, you guys, I mean, it's like, um, wow. A lot, a lot of work. But um, sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-T. See, what is your heart for the land? What is your heart for this place? What is your heart for this church? Because this church is the family unit that is, in a sense, marrying the land. You're saying, we want to covenant something. We, we know our delight is in her. We know that in some way she feels forsaken. But we want to marry her now. We want to come into a place of covenantal connection that isn't just infatuation. You guys understand? And I'm not talking about only, I'm talking about really marrying the purposes of God for this place. What is God's heart for this land? What is God's heart for this, per, this church? How does your church connect to the other 25 or 30, you know, on fire churches in the region? How can you also be part of the bigger bride as it relates to those people? Does God have a purpose that is overarching, that actually includes all of his people? And how does our unique family here connect with the bigger family that we're all part of, the tribal dynamic? In other words, I want you guys to begin to pray into that reality. Because if we're longing for babies, there's only one legitimate way for babies to be born. First comes love, then comes marriage. Then comes babies in the baby carriage. In other words, this, and this is why, again, I, I mean, I love all kinds of evangelism. I've done hundreds of hours of evangelism. I love stadium evangelism. I love passing out tracts on the street corner, even though we make fun of that. You know, give me a four spiritual laws any day, and I'll hand it out to somebody. You know what I mean? It's like I love evangelism. I love treasure hunts, you guys. But if we're honest, stadiums, high-profile evangelism, treasure hunts, they don't put babies in the house. Let's just be real. You know what puts babies in the house? Love, marriage, baby, carriage. 
It's walking through the pre-existing relationships you already have. The person you see every day at the coffee shop. The person who is in, working in the cubicle next to you. It's the person who is, you know, across the street mowing their lawn. It's the person that you work, next, out, work, work out next to into the gym, which I just started doing, by the way, just to celebrate. <laughs> you don't need to applaud. It's, it's really pathetic that it took this long. But... Um, but anyway, my wife's been a good example to me. But you guys understand what I'm saying? Hit and run evangelism, although I still value it and I do it, is not going to produce babies in the house. If it does produce babies, usually they're left on the street corner. It's like that NBA star who has, you know, 12 babies in, in 10 different cities. It's just not the way it's supposed to be done, you guys. But sometimes we use high-profile evangelism as, a, as an excuse not to evangelize the people next to us. So we've got to be a little bit careful about that. Now, again, I want to do both. You guys understand, I don't despise the one and for the other. I just say, we've got to do both. Because every seed that's planted, every drop of water that falls has value. You guys understand? And it means something in the heavenly realms. But we want babies in the house. How do we get babies in the house? Well, first of all, we have to move from a place of, of forsaken. And unfortunately, I mean, I was just with a group of, of spirit-filled, powerful pastors and their leadership teams. I was in a particular part of the, the world where I was working with them. And I asked a question. I said, how many of you regularly invite a friend or coworker to church? And literally not a single hand went up in the room. Seventy people in the room, all church leaders, I mean high-level leaders, and not a single one. And I asked why. He said, well, because we don't want to have to face them the next morning. I mean, we're not training how to give birth to the babies. We're not training how to actually include people. You know, maybe our churches are a little too crazy sometimes. We don't know how to train people how to reach crazy, how to enjoy crazy. You know, I'm not saying we should dial everything back necessarily. I'm just saying, hey... We've got to find a way to have babies in the house. Are we in love with who we are? I mean, all these guys love their church, but they're a little embarrassed. And therefore, they weren't inviting the people that were closest to them. You know, Barna actually, uh, you know, Barna does statistics and church stuff. Barna had statistics that just came up not too long ago where he said 90, he did like, pulled uh, 2,000 people or something like that. 92% non-believer said that they would go to church if somebody invited them. 92% of the people they polled said, oh, yeah, if I got an invitation, I would go. Okay. Anyway, I'm not talking about inviting people to church. I'm talking about babies in the house. I'm talking about let's give birth. Let's, let's see what God wants to do in this land because ultimately if 375,000 people are going to come to Christ in the next 10 years... If we believe in a billion soul harvest, we need to get busy. We need to childproof the house. You know, we need to get the crib and get the diapers. You know, we need to start preparing. If we really take the word of the Lord seriously, it's time for us to start adjusting how we do life so that we can make room for the babies. Okay, and that's what he says in this final closing passage. And I'll stop here because we want to do some ministry in a moment. But look at this. It says here, it says, 
for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons shall marry you. And obviously we want to raise up sons and daughters that will bring glory to Jesus by transforming this region for Christ. You know, we want this region to be known, you know, as a, as a place where Jesus meets people as opposed to where you can meet, you know, um, who is it like... Uh, uh, Harry Potter, or where you can meet, you know, Magic Mountain, or whatever. It's like, you know, we want to be a place where people come to meet Jesus, you know. And so he says, your sons and daughters will marry you. And it says, I've set watchmen, verse 6, on your wall, O Jerusalem. Watchmen are interesting because they're, they're looking out for what God's about to do. They're looking out on the horizon to see what's happening. They're sounding the alarm if necessary. They're, they're announcing the, the coming of a dignitary. The watchmen on the wall are serving this incredible purpose, and God says, that's all of you. You're all watchmen. You're all, let me put it this way, you're partners with Jesus. Now, again, I love the teaching on the finished work of Christ, okay? And I love the teaching on inheritance, but I don't think that's the full measure of God's dealing with us. I don't think God just wants passive sons and daughters who are inheriting and taking what they get all the time and just consuming it on themselves. I think God is actually looking for partners. He's looking for men and women to rise up, enjoying from the place of inheritance and starting to step into a co-workership with Christ that is transformational. And so, again, John, uh, it was uh, Bill Johnson said this recently. He said there's actually, you know, three things that, that produce increase in the body of Christ. One is inheritance, and that's the foundation for everything. If we don't have that, if we don't have that foundation laid, then everything else is just religious works. But once inheritance is established, then there's two other things. There's sowing and reaping, and then there's plunder of the enemy. And both those things are also additionally important. And they're keys to our, our increase in this coming season. That we need to rise up. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't just stand, you know, just don't sit in the cafeteria, you know, eating the meal all the time. But it's time to get on the wall. It's time to, to rise up as, as watchmen, as, as men and women. It's time to turn up your, your, your prophetic antenna and start saying, okay, how can I partner with heaven to see God's purposes come to pass in my land? Because I am a steward of God for this land, and I don't know that we fully unlocked the purposes of God yet for this place. But he says this. He says, they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. Give him no rest until he establishes, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. I believe that God has a purpose for Orlando. And I believe you are instrumental to the fulfillment of that purpose. And I believe that God is raising up in your midst partners. You know, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. But Jesus was never busy, not busy. I mean, he was always busy. In other words, he was always seeing God doing something and he was doing it with him. And I think that the ultimate testimony, it says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You guys understand, he's calling us to rise up. He's calling us to fall in love with the land. He's calling us to marry the land, to say, I'm here and I'm committed. And then he's calling us also to be mothers and fathers of a new generation of salvations that are about to come in this coming season. So I just want to encourage you, this is the Lord's heart for you. 
this is the Lord's will. And I'm just so excited to get to know your pastors and just what God is doing in their lives, guiding them forward. And I just believe that you guys are in for some incredible, incredible seasons to come. So it's just an honor to be connected to you. It's an honor to be part of what you're building. And I just want to encourage you, marry the land. First comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes the babies and the baby carriage, okay? Amen. So can I invite you guys up? And Pastor, can I invite you up as well?